Talking Addiction Recovery is recognizing its 50th episode by discussing where it all started. The podcast is the follow-up from the book Addiction and Recovery. What is the connection between the book and podcast? Listen to the client's story that inspired the book and eventually led to the creation of the podcast. Welcome, 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 listeners. This is episode 50 of Talking Addiction and Recovery podcast. And creating and releasing this amount of episode episodes is just, it's amazing. And it's filled with so much gratitude and heartfelt appreciation to all the supporters and listeners out there to recognize, you know, the progress made with 50 episodes. It's important to look back at where it all began. And this podcast wouldn't be here at all if it wasn't for the book I released, Addiction and Recovery. And what I want to do in this episode is share with you the, you know, an inspiring story behind what led me to writing the book and particularly the idea behind it. And I always enjoy sharing client and patient stories because it is working with them that has helped me more than anything truly understand addiction and recovery you know, all the schooling, the education, the training, the work I do with other clinicians is the most gratifying and truly learning point of what I take away is when I'm sitting with a client, a patient in my office and what I've learned from them over the years. So to know that a client's story inspired me to write the book and, and the idea behind it, you know, this is up there. And I'll be honest and say that by sharing it, it probably might get a little emotional, which is totally okay and normal. It's good to do. And after sharing the story, I want to get into like what you can expect by reading Addiction Recovery and some of the most important highlights you can find in it. And then lastly, just talk about how writing the book really led to creating this very podcast. So for a while, I was working in different programs, and I've always wanted to write a book about, you know, addiction counseling. At some point in my career, I I wanted to do that, but I wanted to make sure that I had something that was valuable to others that would help people who are dealing with, you know, substance use and other addictions with mental health, you know, family members and loved ones, communities, and even other professionals. So I wanted to make sure that I had something that was valuable for people to have. But I didn't really know that at that time, because for a while, it was just doing the work, you know, seeing clients, seeing patients, like having counseling sessions, having group sessions, you know, learning about treatment planning and documenting and assessing and diagnosing and and working within all the systems that you work with when you deal with substance use and mental health. So I knew if I just got into it right away and just wrote something about it, it wasn't going to really do what I wanted to do. So I had to be patient with that. And it wasn't until, you know, probably you know, 10 years, 12 years into it that it was like, okay, 
the idea of being able to write a book is becoming a little bit more legitimate. But I still really had no idea behind it. It just was something that I felt was more obtainable because of all the work that I was doing. And there was a point where when I was working in the residential program for for men, a lot of clients were were reading books and they just wanted more knowledge and more knowledge. And if you know when you listen to other podcast episodes, you hear me reference books and I am constantly reading, not just a professional thing, but a personal thing. And every I'm just I'm constantly reading some kind of book in relation to addiction recovery. And among other books, but then I'm also reading, you know, journals, I'm reading articles, magazines, you know, all this type of stuff. And my areas in which I work are filled with books. You know, I have a a small library here at home. In my home office, I have a bookshelf. In both offices where I practice, I have books that are filled in my offices. So I have a ton of books. And when I was working in the residential program, I remember I had this closet and you'd open up the closet and there'd be some basic house storage items in there. And then on the top, there would be just a line of my books that were in up in that closet. And then there was another cabinet I had in the corner of my office. And when I opened that up, it was just stacked with books and lined up with books that I had. And there was a period where a lot of different clients just w- were wanting to read. And it was, it was a fantastic moment. It was probably the closest thing that I ever would really have to sort of a book club among clients. And they were just asking for anything that I thought would be useful for them. So for a lot of people, they were borrowing you know, Victor Frankl's A Man's Search for Meaning. There was a younger, uh, you know, 19-year-old who was looking at going back to school. He wanted to kind of get back into, he was interested in philosophy. And I decided to give him um, Aesop's Fables. You know, I had people talking to me about guilt and shame, and I gave him the book about guilt and shame. So there was just books flying off the shelves, and people were borrowing them they were kind of swapping them out with one another as one would finish it and it it got to the point where I'd actually create a little library catalog for people to check them out so I I didn't lose them and it, it was great it was amazing to see so many clients at once reading books and they would talk about them with one another they would ask me questions if we had a few minutes before group started, we would kind of see where people were. In fact, one of the the clients was the story from episode 20 with the practice of being kind, the one who fired the gun at the car. He was one of the, the clients who was a part of this group that was asking for books. So it was a really memorable group of clients at that time and I remember I was in my office one day and I had a client who came in and just asked me do I have a book about addiction and in my in my mind I was like yeah like that's that's easy I've got plenty which one do you want to pick from but as I go through you know my closet as I go through 
my cabinet. Like I'm not finding anything that I that I think he wants. And I can kind of sense it on him because as I was like looking at some, he would look like that's not what he wanted to know. But, you know, I had books that explained addiction from, you know, the pharmacology of drugs perspective. I had ones that talked about it from, you know, theoretical models about them that they were like academic textbooks, but he didn't really want an academic textbook. But then I was looking at I had biographies and I had stories, but that's not what he wanted either because, you know, he has his own story. He he knows plenty of addiction. And there was nothing really that I found that I could really say to be like, well, yeah, this is, this is addiction, a book about it. So I told him, you know, in a very disappointing tone, you know, that I didn't have one for him, that I, I would look into it and I just didn't know at the time. So he's like, you know, it's no big deal. You know, he said he walks out and then a few moments later he comes back and this is probably like 30 seconds later. And he's like, this is a stupid question, but do you have one on recovery? And, you know, after the first question of not having one on addiction, and then looking at what is it about recovery, you know, I didn't have a lot about that either. You know, I had copies of Alcoholics Anonymous. I had copies of Narcotics Anonymous that we would have and give to to clients. And, but I really didn't have anything else that was a, a book about recovery either. And I told him, you know, nope, I don't, I don't have that either. And he he laughed, and on his way out, and this is a, a memory burned in my mind. You know, he said, "You know, that's okay. You know, maybe you should write one." And when he walked away, that really there was a seed planted already to write a book, but that was really him pouring some water on that the idea to write one was really growing and I couldn't let it go from there. So all of a sudden it was, what about writing a book about addiction and recovery? And what would make mine different or what would make mine valuable? And here's the one big truth about the book is that the book isn't my story. I talk about why I get into counseling, but my story does not cover the the addiction, the recovery side of it that you would find common in like a biography or someone's tell-all. My part of why I got into it is a couple pages, but what I thought would be one of the most valuable things to do was to share what I've learned as I've done counseling and worked with clients and patients who struggled with substance use and tried making their way to working recovery. So that's why the cover has the two chairs. And the two chairs, you know, represent that that's where this is coming from. This is coming from all the work that I've done, the important things that I've come to learn 
about it. And that's why it's really broken down into those two things. So that was the best thing that I felt I could offer people is the perspective of both addiction and recovery from all the work that I've done with people in that role of a counselor. And that role has changed to where now I do clinical supervision. And there are some other things that I do as far as within my profession. But the book shares all of that information about it. And so really, part of this, this, the idea behind the book was inspired by a client. It, it wasn't my idea to write it in that way initially. The idea for writing a book was there, but not until you know he said that did that become such a turning point to actually start putting words on paper and, and start to write it. And I wrote it, and we're going to get into a little bit about what was in like what's in there and what you can expect from it the one of the hardest things sharing about it is you know after i wrote it i've always wanted to you know give it to people who i might run into again or people that i've i've mentioned in it you know coworkers and and clients and of course this this person is one of those that i was always hoping that some way we would cross paths because when you work in this profession and when you go to like meetings and you go to events and you are part of this community you know they a saying is we we run in small circles and i was hoping one day that that could happen and it's 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 unfortunate to share that i never got that chance to give this a copy of it to him Uh, before i could and before we even crossed paths again, I I found out he experienced a fatal overdose. And that's 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 hard. They're they're all hard. But you know, this one was a really difficult one to not be able to to share it and with him and let him know that that day he came into my office and asked me about books was what would eventually inspire me to write this book. And, you know, because of that, I always make it, make sure that if I run into a a past client or someone that was a part of that treatment program or that went to that treatment program, I have just given those individuals copies of my book because that's just my way of giving back from everything that I've learned from there. So it it was it was hard when that happened, but from working with him and from his inspiration came writing the book. And I'm I'm very thankful for that. And when, when we break it down, the book contains things that I wanted to provide and share that really highlighted all those kinds of things, all those stories of working with people and and working with someone who has a substance use disorder and the people I worked with, whether it was a first shift worker, a third shift worker, someone who was a doctor or someone who was, you know, had a high school degree is, is their 
background, there are a lot of things that I learned from others that I wanted to share that helped me help people. And that's what a lot of the book contains is the client stories, the stories of people I've worked with, how I've helped them. So it's not filled with, you know, the tragic stories of the using and what it's led to. You know, we all know those. You know, anyone who comes and see me has those. Anyone who has a family member or loved one with a substance use disorder, you know what those are. So my focus was providing all of the ways in which to understand and help and sharing that with stories and examples of the people that I worked with. And it's broken down into a few parts, but part of it kind of is an introduction into, you know, why I wrote it, um, the story, you know, more details and a little bit of where I was in the mix of counseling and substance use and all that. And then it breaks down into a section about addiction. There's a section about change. There's a section on recovery. And those kind of follow some similar, you know, content. Because I felt that was the best way to really do it, is to just break down things about addiction you know, misunderstandings, what is it, tricks about addiction in the future. And I lay out the same thing with recovery is misunderstandings about recovery. What is it? The tools of recovery and the future of recovery. And I dedicate a whole section on change because in between when someone is using and then when someone gets sober, is often like, what goes on in between that? You know, what happens? And I've always felt that that has been missed in a lot of stories. You know, you hear someone talk about they were using or they were so caught up in something, and then all of a sudden you hear they got into treatment or they got sober and things improved and got better. But that what happened in between? And there is such a gap in between the two even though they are very closely related, and even though someone can go from being sober this morning to using again in the very same morning, there are some big gaps in between addiction and recovery. And that's where I believe talking about change, understanding change is important. And then one of the things that I made sure to include was a whole section for family members and loved ones. Because I've always believed that there was not enough help for them. And I've learned that even more as I have spent time working with families, working with significant others and spouses of people with a substance use disorder. You know, they don't want to get help. So I see the family member, I see the loved one, I see the husband, I see the wife. And it breaks down a lot for family members and loved ones about understanding addiction and recovery as well. And it's also important for individuals with substance use issues to understand 
that family perspective too. So there is a whole section dedicated to family members and loved ones. When you break down some of the things that are really important from the book is what I just try and share with everyone. And not all of it's mine. I make it a a point to when I've learned something from someone is to let you know where that came from. So if I learned something from a client, I share that this came from what a client told me. If I learned something from a professional, it is to share where that came from as a professional. But these are things you're not going to read in typical academic books and not even in some of other stories about addiction and recovery. You know, sharing what a third shift worker notices and what they tell me, how that's used to help somebody. You know, information that someone has shared with me is... It's so important of what I learn from other people. And I want them to get the same recognition that what I used from them, what they helped me with, I help others with. So I talk about things from what other people have told me throughout the years. And I share a lot of things that I have done in sessions with clients, conversations I have had, tools that I have used, you know, so these are ones that you aren't going to necessarily read about or hear about at like a training, or that isn't typical that you would learn in a course or class. So I really unlock the vault of some of the specific tools and things I use to help people because I feel like that's missing so much with what what is it that has helped people what is it that has been used for someone that is helping counsel people with substance use disorders and and mental health issues and family problems and issues with relationships and work like that's what a lot of it is filled with from this vault that i share in the book So you get a lot of those things, the tools that I use. And I always tell people I'm a big tool person. You know, when it comes to what kind of problem you have, what kind of situation you're dealing with, like no matter what you bring to the table, I'm always going to, you know, say and ask, you know, what are we going to use to help with this? What sort of skills do we need? What kind of resource do we need? And a lot of people I work with, a lot of the the clients I work with know that I'm a big person on what are the skills, what are the tools, what are the resources, what options do you have, what choices can you make? That you don't just come in there and, and say a bunch of things and walk out not knowing what you could potentially do. There's something we need to figure out that might be able to help you. Another aspect that's really that I enjoyed most about writing the book and sharing it is there's a, after every chapter, there is a graduation letter 
that I have used in the past to write to clients. And this came from another client who he was leaving the program on a Sunday. And it was, it was kind of unusual because we weren't really doing discharges over weekends, but he was being discharged on a Sunday. And I didn't work weekends. So he asked if I could write a letter that could kind of just summarize just my my thoughts or my wishes, whatever the case may be, to him that could be read at his last group. Because the last group we would have, you know, people kind of say final thoughts and, um, you know, say their best wishes. And so he asked me to write a letter, and I did. So I wrote him a letter, and I gave it to the staff, and I said to the staff, you know, he can choose. Does he want to, you know, have it read for himself or what he wanted read to the group. And he chose to have it read to the group. And I was like, okay, this is, that's pretty nice. So he read it. And after that, I started having people ask me to write letters as they were at their last date in treatment. And sometimes they were my clients. Sometimes they weren't. Cause you know, there was a couple counselors there who also had clients but it became a tradition where everyone who graduated received a letter from me. And, you know, I was always cautious about graduations because I don't want this to be an indication that it's over. That, okay, you're good to go. You did everything you needed to do. And congratulations. Let's go celebrate and reward ourselves. And that is a slippery slope. So I was cautious to really look at this as a huge congratulations type thing. However, I will tell you that the moment someone leaves treatment is a very challenging time, I think, for the individual, but also as a counselor because they've done well and they're ready to go and they are preparing to make that next step but we also know that relapse rates are are pretty high after someone completes treatment you know that transition period between leaving treatment and going home and then adjusting and transitioning to how it's going to be there it doesn't take a lot of time for us to find out if somebody has relapsed again, or if they're maintaining their sobriety. So as I'm thinking of that, it comes down to like, what, what do I say to someone who I might not see again? You know, what do I say to someone who is about to embark on a really important time as a transition out? You know, what do I say to someone now who I don't have another counseling session? I don't have another group. I don't have any more time to really work with them. Like this is, this is it. This is the last part of it. So, you know, my letters were very personalized. They were very upfront. They were very straightforward but I was also trying to do the best that I could to be encouraging, to be motivating, to be supportive, 
to tell them what they needed to hear, to recognize where they came from when they entered the program, where I hope they can be when they lead the program, and what I think they need to do in order to make that a success. But in the end, it was what do I say to someone or write to someone when this might be the last chance to do that? So it was it was very rewarding to be able to share some of these exact letters that I wrote to people in the book. So I decided to put one at the end of every chapter. So you get now you get a little bit of an idea of what's in it. And there's a lot of things in there. And at some point as an author, you get to a point where you're like, well, when is enough is like enough. And uh, for me, which sounds a little crazy, it was uh, 483 pages later. But as I was finishing it, there was things that I kept wanting to, to talk about, more stories I wanted to share, more information that I've learned. You know, I am the type of person that the more I learn, I realize the less I know. Because when I read a book or when I learn something, it highlights the fact that there's even more things I'm not aware of or I don't know. So even though it's kind of like I I have this sense that I, I know less, even though I just finished learning more, it's amazing because for me that journey of learning never stops. And that's probably one of the most important lessons as an addiction counselor and professional and also someone who is in addiction with and, and in recovery is there is no end point to this learning. But I had to put an end point to the book. So, you know, at some point I had to be like, okay, this is all, this is what I'm going to do. And, you know, so I, I finished it, I published it, I released it. But my learning never truly stopped. Like it never ended. You know, I learned something all the time. And that, that can be from a session that I had with somebody. It could be something that I read or heard, an interaction with a colleague. And I wanted to keep being able to share those things. Because those are things that I would know could help someone or help family members or help other professionals. And that was huge. You know, when I got into clinical supervision, it was also me helping the helpers. And then when I got into doing trainings and presenting, and then when it comes to talking, you know, to in the community and engaging in stuff like that, there was more that I had to keep sharing. And I didn't want it to be where that stuff was just going back to only in sessions because it expanded so much from just working with people in sessions. So... Now I had to think of how do I get this out? So now people might be thinking, well, the podcast was that next idea. It actually was not. So my first idea was to actually make a talking series that would feature different 
topics and within the topics would have different episodes. And I literally recorded some and had them prepared to be put on CDs. So I thought I would be creating like this CD catalog that could be used to people could buy it. Um, I could give it out to people and they could listen to that. So I I've still have it as a good reminder of designs for different CDs for this talking series and having that be the way to reach out to people. And I still like the idea of some of those things. And I've carried over some of the topics and discussions into episodes, but I realized that was very old school way of thinking. I'd have to probably think my dad in a way because of me working for him when I was younger for his consulting company and you know that idea of creating like a talking series and having it being available for places or people to to get is that's probably really where a lot of that came from but I was also realizing that's not how a lot of information was getting out today and being shared so I, I was literally taking my iPad and using the recorder type app and then speaking into the iPad and then saving it and using that to burn on a CD. And that's one of the reasons why I haven't changed. If you listen to some of my earlier ones, that's how this podcast was recorded was through something simple like that because I just wanted to get the information out there. I wanted to share what I've learned and what I'm learning with people. So knowing that that way of doing it with a CD and a talking series wasn't very logical. It wasn't what I thought was going to be helpful. And I also didn't think a lot of people that I was trying to reach would do that. You know, some people would, but I also know I got... I got clients and I got patients who they would never be able to have that money to spend on it, or they might be struggling with money to, to not be able to afford something like that. So that's where the podcast came into that idea to create one that was talking about these ongoing issues these things that I keep learning about, things that I am still trying to understand about addiction and recovery and to share that with as many people that want to listen. And it has grown from the individuals with the substance use disorder, people who are using, people who are in recovery, to family members and loved ones, to other helping professionals. I have had people who, you know, even casually drink or who decide to stop drinking reach out to me about listening to the podcast. So even people who aren't, you know, in the addiction and recovery, so to speak, are learning about it and understanding more about it and learning from it 
and then we include stuff with the mental health piece and all these other different topics is where this podcast has now become the platform to be able to do that, to share my continuous ongoing learning from this field with anyone who's, who's willing to listen. And to me, every episode's important. You know, each one offers, you know, different insight, experience, knowledge, stories, education, and hopefully a little more understanding of addiction and recovery. You know, over the years, I've worked with a lot of individuals with substance use, you know, other addictions, mental health. You know, for a long time, it was working with those individuals and it it has spread to now working with families, loved ones, working with professionals, you know, educating and talking to them and doing clinical supervision to sharing in the community and shining more of a light on these issues related to addiction and mental health. You know, so writing and releasing the book became a way to really reach that wider audience of people who need help to understand addiction and recovery. And now, because of this podcast platform, we can have these ongoing discussions and talk with even other people and have guests to come on and discuss a wide range of topics looking to inform individuals, families, communities, you know, different organizations, institutions, you know, mental health professionals, educators, and really anyone else impacted by addiction and recovery. So without the book, there would be no podcast. And without that client story and that moment with them, it wouldn't be this book. And I really want, and I want to finish this episode by sharing with you the graduation letter that I wrote for that client who inspired me to write the book. And in which, by doing so, led to the podcast. So his book, his letter, is definitely in the chapter called The Story Behind the Book. And that's where his letter is. So I want to read it to you now. So you kind of know what the letters are like, but also because for him and what he was able to help me, inspire me to do. So, to client, how easy is it to get caught into thinking about life after treatment before it even begins? The temptation to think about life outside of counseling, programming, services, and rules is always a thought or two away. It provides comfort, maybe some motivation, or at least some kind of hope that with time you will get to that point. But for you it was different. Life after treatment for you was more of a question mark. Where would I go? Where would I live? Who would I be surrounding myself with? In a way, you were almost placed in no man's land. A place that when you looked back you didn't want to go to, and yet looking forward you didn't know where that would lead you. 
No Man's Land is a tricky place, putting us at the crossroads of accepting the truth about what we want to change in our lives. We have to think about what parts of our old life we want to carry with us and what parts we need to let go of. Part of this journey is not letting go of everything about us and our past, but learning how to carry the weight better along the way. That's almost a feeling of being left behind. Our past is behind us waiting for the temptation to go back to the old ways of thinking and behaving. The future is in front of us with an unclear picture of what life is going to be like if we choose to change. The easier decision is to leave no man's land and return to the old ways because it's comforting, simpler, and a much quicker journey. The best decision is to make change and move forward to the path that leads to the greater likelihood of success. However, a decision often overlooked between those two is the one to make in the moment while you are in no man's land. That decision comes down to who do I want to be? Because wherever you go, there you are. If you don't want to change, then the past of poor decisions and consequences will repeat itself. If you want to change, then it can be achieved by going forward in the direction of recovery. When you first entered treatment, it was clear to me you were in no man's land, searching for answers on what to do with your life. The more you continue to focus on yourself and letting control of what you had no power over, you were able to make the most important kind of change. Viktor Frankl once stated, When we are no longer able to change a situation, we are challenged to change ourselves. I saw you begin to make changes regarding who you wanted to be and develop a new set of codes you wanted to live by that reflected your ultimate goal of wanting a sober life. The strength that it has provided you is the idea of no matter what you face along the way, an obstacle or setback, you are able to handle it because you change the most difficult thing a person can attempt, yourself. Remember this. The past will always be behind us, the future will always be ahead, but the present is the moment is a chance we get to live up to who we want to be in the moment. So that is the letter I wrote to the client who helped inspire this book. And in his memory I cannot thank him enough for for that. So 50 episodes of the podcast, and we are going to be looking at the next 50 and the next 50. And who knows, this is always going to be an option as long as I keep learning. And that has rarely ever, ever stopped. So I really want to say thank you, thank you, and thank you to all all the listeners and supporters as we recognize the 50th episode of Talking in Addiction and Recovery Podcast. I really look forward to all the work and everything I have to share with you in future episodes. There are things I want to do now, talk about now, share now, give to you now, but part of it is being patient. Part of it is taking the time to do it right. And there's a lot of things that I have in store to, to do what we can to help you. There's some exciting surprises. We have some special guests coming up, some valuable information, and whatever we can do in order to help those impacted by addiction and recovery. As always, I hope you learned something.